We've begun a sermon series called Created to Worship. We've identified seven essentials of worship, and last week Pastor Connie talked about awe, something that's truly awesome, the attitude of reverence we need to bring to our worship. And today, in the second essential of worship, we're going to call this truth. So there will be seven essentials of worship. The first two are awe and truth. And we are suggesting that every worship service and every authentic worship experience should involve these seven essentials. Now here's what I mean by the second essential, truth. Last week's sermon built on a story found in Acts chapter 17 about the Apostle Paul making a speech on Mars Hill in Athens. He pointed out all the many idols, the statues of inert gods that people had shaped. And then he pointed out a memorial on Mars Hill in Athens entitled, To an Unknown God. And Paul said, this God that you consider unknown, I have come to explain him and to make him known to you. This unknown God doesn't want to remain unknown. He wants to make himself known to you. And he does that through creation, first of all. The heavens, the earth, nature, the wonders, and then our ability to perceive all of that, our sense, our inner sense of being, which means we're really made in the image of God. But all people have these kinds of testimonies about God, their own inner self, plus all the wonders of nature around them. Psalm 19 says in these memorable words, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and nothing is hid from its heat. The sun, the moon, the stars, all the wonders of nature. These are ways in which God should be known to some degree by every human being, because they're a way of encountering him through his creation. But Psalm 19 goes on in verse 7 and says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now you don't see the law of the Lord in nature. You don't see the decrees, 
the precepts, the commandments, the ordinances. Now, this is a whole nother degree of revelation. And God, Paul said to the Athenians, God has further revealed truth about himself. And he's done this by breaking into history in the experience of the Israelite people, called out for a special revelation through Abraham, through Moses, the Exodus, the law, the prophets. That is a further revelation beyond nature. And even beyond that, he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to reveal himself more fully and what his purposes are. So here, beyond nature, beyond the inner sense of our connection with the spirit beyond ourselves, beyond those natural things we know about God just by being human, God has also revealed himself in the experience of the, of the Israelite people, and then ultimately in his son, Jesus Christ. So that's in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Romans 15, verse 4, Paul wrote, For whatever was written in former days, that is, in the Old Testament days, was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Jesus Christ, so that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God revealed himself through all of those in the Old Testament who wrote his law, his word, his prophecies, and then through Jesus Christ. This is made even clearer in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, this is an unknown apostle writing and reflecting on the, the great significance of God's double revelation. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. He spoke to his ancestors, our ancestors, that's the Old Testament, by the, by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken by his son, that's the New Testament. So that's our Bible. Now, every Christian worship service should have reminders of the fact that God is not unknown because he chose to reveal himself to us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. You will find in a lot of liturgical traditions, Roman Catholic, Anglican, even Lutheran, you'll have a a New Test an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading in every worship service. And that's done purposely to remind us of what God says about himself, the truth expressed as part of our worship. Every Christian tradition has a place for reading and proclaiming the scriptures from the austere pilgrim preacher standing before the people with the open Bible to a child participating by reading a Bible text in a worship service. And even 
to a well-known evangelist expounding on Bible truth to immense crowds, our friend Billy Graham. More modern expressions of this are seen in a congregation where everyone is looking at their cell phones, of course, following the Bible text, they say, on their smartphones. But that's a manifestation of the same thing. In our worship service, we have truth revealed to us about God, God's self-revelation in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And part of our revealing of that, our speaking the truth in a worship service, is the reading of the Bible, the reading of creeds and confessions, and preaching of biblical sermons, exposing the meaning of the Bible. So worship can be seen as a response, as a response to what God says about himself, a response to the wonderful words of truth from God in the Old and New Testament. The wonderful deeds of God lead to gratitude. That's worship. The proclamation of God leads to praise. That's worship. This is not the inert God represented by idols. Nor is it the ethereal kind of pantheistic God expressed in platitudes. This is the God of the Bible who is real and can be seen through his actions. Now, I'd like to turn to another psalm, Psalm 9, and I want to just pick a few verses from here so you can see a pattern. In Psalm 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. So now, this psalmist is recounting to himself and to others who are worshiping with him the wonderful deeds that God has done. Maybe the Old Testament deeds. Maybe, maybe uh, prophecies that came true. For Christians, it would also be the wonderful deed of sending his son into the world. The King James Version calls these marvelous works, wonderful deeds. I will be glad in you. I will sing praise to your name. So it, 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 it results in worship through praise, through singing, as well as through spoken word. And then skip down to verse 11. Sing praise to the Lord who dwells in Zion. Declare his deeds again. This is the God who acts, the God who does things. Declare his deeds among the peoples. So now it goes beyond just sharing in this worship service. It's the call to bring this word about God's deeds to all the world. And as we worship, we're reminded that this is his plan for us, to talk him up in the world. Verse 13, he gets very personal. Be gracious to me, O Lord, see what I suffer from those who hate me. That, that is, do, do some important deeds in my life. I need some wonderful deeds. So that I may recount all your praises and the gates of the daughter of Zion rejoice in your deliverance. That is, so I will sing praise so that others in the congregation will also sing praise. And then, in verse 15, the nations have sunk in the pit that they made. It goes from me to the worshiping congregation to all the nations. 
they have sunk in the pit they have made, in the net that has hid, that they hid has their own foot been caught. The Lord has made himself known. See that? The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Then in verse 19, the prayer, Rise up, O Lord. Do not let mortals prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Now listen to this. Let the nations know that they are only human. How will they know that? By contrast to God's wonderful deeds. When we worship, when we submit ourselves to the knowledge of who God really is, when we praise Him for His wonderful deeds, that's contagious. Others around us do as well. And through our praise and worship, ultimately, the nations of the world, the ends of the earth, will learn that they are only human in contrast to the great eternal God. There's the personal experience of who God is, of knowing the truth about God. There's the corporate experience when we read and preach in each other's presence. And then there's the universal experience as we bring the word to the, eds, to the ends of the earth as Jesus called his disciples to do. You see, worship gives us perspective. We see in a new way every time we worship God and his created universe and all of his marvelous deeds throughout history. And then we see ourselves in contrast. We see our people in contrast. We see all people compared to God's eternity. That gives us a perspective on life we can't find anyplace else. So this is the second essential in worship. The first is reverence and awe. The second is truth, God's self-revelation that he is knowable and wants to be known. And there are five more essentials. I'll let you figure out what they will be, or you can just wait till next week and find out what number three is. Stay tuned. But for now, let me remind you, Christian worship should always include a word of truth about God, a reminder of who he has revealed himself to be and what he has done to demonstrate that. We, we Christians, find that word in the Bible and it reveals enough of God for us to embrace him as our Lord and Savior. And that's why we worship. We meet in Altadena every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Pacific, both in the sanctuary and on YouTube. Most other events will be starting up soon, but if you need prayer now, please reach out to us at altabapprayer at aol.com. And again, as always, we pray God's blessings on you this week.